Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC. And we are back with another episode after an action-packed weekend of football and fights. I mean, UFC 297, a lot to cover about that card. That will be our main event of this episode. We'll be uh, covering all the fights, talking about everything, what's next for some of the fighters, because a lot went down and also a lot didn't go down. We'll talk about all of that on this episode as well. We're going to be recapping the NFL divisional round games as we know the final four teams that remain that could potentially play for the Super Bowl or in the Super Bowl play to win the Lombardi Trophy, I should have said. Um, also, we're going to be talking about the 48 Laws of Power. We can read a couple more laws in that book, or chapters, if you want to say. Some new UFC news, and we're um, back with a segment we haven't done in a couple months, but um, what fighters need to be added for UFC 5? we got a whole bunch of fun stuff. I'm excited to get into it all. And next episode, dropping later this week, we're going to be starting a series where I cover my um favorite 10 KOs from 2020, 2021, 2022, and we'll even go 2023. Um, looking back um, at all the events, I'm just I'm gonna take into account my like shock factor where I was if I was with friends or anyone. Um, so that's gonna be super fun. A little segment. I'm excited to start, but um, no UFC next weekend. So we're gonna be trying to find other stuff to talk about while we take a break. But um, let's start off with um some new UFC fight news. Not too many. Not too much um new fight news dropping. Um. Dana White recently confirmed that Leon Edwards versus Bilal Muhammad will be uh, going down as the next title um, title shot for the welterweight champion Leon Edwards, presumably at UFC 300. But I think we all know that that is not strong enough to be the main event for UFC 300. So if that does get confirmed, because Dana White said it was confirmed, but also the UFC hasn't announced it, you know, Dana White sometimes changes his stuff in the back. Um, but if it does go down, it will probably be the co-main event for that for that card. And what I really like about that is that it's pretty obvious the Edwards and Blah Muhammad is not going to sell a lot of pay-per-views. But if it's a co-main event, that is a... V- Stacked, stacked co-main event for a card, nonetheless, even if it's UFC 300 where fans are expecting Conor McGregor, Brock Lesnar, and Khabib all to have a triple threat WWE match on the card, Um, but yeah. I'm, I'm picking Leon Edwards for that fight without a doubt. I mean, the striking is much better than Bilal, and Bilal Muhammad is so boring, and I just feel every time we watch Bilal fight, we're just able to critique it. There's never anything good to look at when you're watching a Bilal Muhammad fight. So we'll see if that actually happens, but apparently apparently it's been confirmed by Dana. So expect that in the future. Also, cool moment on the UFC 297 event where they actually announced that Frankie Edgar will be inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. Frankie Edgar, former lightweight champion, former oh, just a legend of the game. He has wins in bantamweight, featherweight, lightweight. I mean, has fought a who's who of the UFC. Let's actually, um, let me actually find uh, something about Frankie Edgar. There's got to be, there has to be, uh, he's got to be on one of these cards. You know, when you're looking at UFCstats.com, it does kind of get confusing at times trying to um, find 
find a uh, all the people you're looking for, but I'm pretty good. I'm pretty slick with knowing stuff. Yeah, Frankie Edgar, last fought in November 2022. He, of course, retired. I mean, he's 40 now. But, uh, yeah, dude, dude would have been a legend. Fought in the UFC since 2007. Well, legendary fights with Gray Maynard, BJ Penn. Um, I mean, my goodness, Benson Henderson, he's fought multiple times. He actually holds a win over Charles Oliveira, fight of the night loss, um, in the main event at 156 against Jose Aldo. He's finished BJ Penn, finished Cub Swanson, beaten Uriah Hall, beaten Chad Mendes. I mean, Frankie Edgar, an absolute legend. So, so happy. And he didn't even know that it was going to happen. He was shocked. He was emotional. And I, I could not have been more happy for someone like Frankie Edgar to get a uh, UFC Hall of Fame induction. Dude is, dude is a stand-up guy. You know, never talked an unseen amount of trash, never really was the the angry type. He was very humble, and he fought well. He fought well. I will say, in the fights that I watched from live, um, he was KO'd by Corey Sanhagen, Chris Gutierrez, the Korean zombie. So, I mean, I watched him lose a lot, but I did watch him beat Pedro Munoz. Well, actually, I fell asleep for that fight. So, uh, and then, you know, in my experience with Frank Yeager, not the best, but in his career, uh, amazing. Last little piece of uh, new news, if you want to talk about that. The Saudi Arabia event, of course, which was supposed to go down March 2nd, was moved to June. And Dana White actually did confirm, this isn't Leon Edwards, Blah Muhammad, like, oh, I'm confirming this fight, but will it happen? This is real. Uh, The event will not be a pay-per-view. It will be a fight night, and there will be no title fights on the card. Dana White said that. And, you know, this is very interesting, judging that boxing and other uh, MMA organizations like the PFL... And Bellator, they're going to Saudi Arabia, kind of um, in that February to March range. It's I'm and I'm sure WWE will be going over there. So it's pretty interesting to see Dana White kind of taking a very civil approach to not beefing up a Saudi Arabian card, but also kind of shows I think he's trying to prove that he can put on a lesser stacked event, if you want to call that. Which will, the names will probably be more stacked than the boxing and other MMA like the PFL uh, events they put on. But I think he's just trying to prove a point that we can put lesser fighters on and get more views. We'll see who they put on that. Because, I mean, the March 2nd event, which is going down at the Apex. I mean, as of right now, these are fights that are still on there. Alex Perez versus Mohamed Mokhaev. Uh, those are top 10 flyweights. Mohamed Mokhaev is actually undefeated. He's ranked number 8. Alex Perez is ranked number 7. Going down to the heavyweight division, you have number 12, Jarzinho Rosenstruck, taking on undefeated with only uh, with all finishes but one fight, Shamil Gaziaf, who had a crazy, crazy um, debut over Martin Boudet to kick off the UFC 296 prelims in December. Excited to see him back. Unranked lightweight talents, Joel Alvarez and Ludwig Klein. The undefeated Javid Bashrat will be back on that event. Uh, there's, there's a, this is a very, very stacked, uh, not really stacked, but it should be a good fight night. I don't know what the main event is or what they're going to do, but that should be a good good Apex card. But at the same time, these Apex cards are getting absolutely ridiculous. I mean, just to let everyone know, starting February 3rd, which is a Saturday, um, you have UFC Vegas, uh, what is it? UFC Vegas 85, I believe it is. February 10th, UFC Vegas 86. We go to Anaheim for 298. Then we go to Mexico City. And then the next freaking one, two, three, next three fight nights are all at the Apex. These Apex events are absolutely draining. Um, fights are more fun with a crowd. Even the worst events can be made better with a crowd. But um, yeah, Saudi Arabia, sorry you don't get a beefy card. You know, it's unfortunate, but 
it is what it is. That's all I can say. Let me talk about some of the upcoming fights that um, I am looking forward to. Uh, next card, uh, UFC Vegas 85, headlined by Roman Dolodize and uh, Nazardine Imovov, currently ranked number 11 and 8, respectively. It's crazy, Roman Dolodize is ranked number 8. That'll be your main event. Going to be interesting. Two young, not really young, but two up-and-comers in the middleweight division. Winner will remain in the top 10 and be taking on a top 10 guy next, so that'll be fun. In the co-main event, number 13-ranked Hanato Moikano and number 15-ranked Drew Dober. Two finishers. Oh my goodness, that's going to be a fun one in the co-main event as well. I'm so pumped for this one. Alish Kebab Karizov takes on Mahmoud Murav. Alish Kebab Karizov is 14-0 all finishes. Dude looks like a grizzly bear. Super fun to watch him. Also on the pre on the prelims, the return of Molly McCann, Patty the Pimblet's younger sister, if you will. Um, 17-0, undefeated flyweight Azad Maksum will be fighting on there. Themba Garimbo will be taking on Pete Rodriguez. Themba Garimbo, of course, the fighter who is gifted a uh, house from the Rock. Pretty cool. Um, you also can see Luiana Carolino. She's a fun uh, woman strawweight. Landon Kionez, he's from the Ultimate Fighter. And Thomas Peterson, a Farmington, Minnesota boy. Very, very cool. Uh, next weekend, February 10th, uh, you'll see Jack Romanson versus Joe Pfeiffer. And also, interestingly, Dan Ige, who was supposed to fight Leon Murphy, will instead be taking on Andre Feely, who's unranked at Featherweight, but he's coming off a big KO. Uh, I believe, was that last week he got a KO? I honestly can't recall. I think, actually, I think it was on 296 he got KO. Uh, any other good fights on that card? Zach Palga's back. He's, uh, eh, he's alright. He was from Amanda Nunez's season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, Bolaji Oki, he is going to be fun. Debuting fighter in the lightweight or featherweight division. I can't remember, but he should be fun to check out. But yes, Joe Pfeiffer, Jack Romanson in the main event for um, uh, UFC Vegas, Vegas 86. And Joe Pfeiffer broke the punching machine at Joe Rogan's office. Joe Rogan, of course, studio for his podcast has a punching bag. And Joe Pfeiffer beat Francis Ngannou, who technically held like a world record on that machine. Keep it February rolling with the UFC 298 in Anaheim, California. And this card is absolutely amazing. Um, I mean, prelims, you know, they're they're all right. You got Ringa Nakamura on there, undefeated uh, um, Asian fighter. He's super fun to watch. Brenson Ribeiro, Zhang Mingyang, that's going to be a fun fight. Treshawn Gore's back on that card. In the featured prelim, Amanda Lemos versus Mackenzie Dern. Of course, it was supposed to be Tatiana Suarez, but she unfortunately got hurt. Mackenzie Dern looking to bounce back, and Amanda Lemos really looking to bounce back after she got 50 43'd by Zhang Weili back at UFC 292. His main card, though, absolutely ridiculous. Anthony Hernandez, currently ranked number 15 in the men's middleweight division, was supposed to take on um, Ikram Mankasarov, which I was super pumped for. Instead, he'll take on Roman Kopilov, who's on a five-fight win streak. All those by finish. Crazy, crazy stuff. That's going to be fun. Next up, top three bantamweights in the men's bantamweight, 135-pound division. Marab Dweveshelli riding his 10-fight, 11-fight win streak against Henry Cejudo, former double champion. That's going to be fun. Also, the return of Ian Gary as he looks to take on Jeff Neal for the second time. All right, let's try to rebook this fight. It'll be interesting. Ian Gary becoming a heel, becoming a heel of the UFC. We'll see what happens there. In the co-main event, Robert Whitaker, Paulo Costa, booked for the third time now I think I really hope this fight goes down both men in desperately need in desperate need of a win Paul Costa hasn't fought in a year and a half all right 
that dude is ruining his chances and his career. In the main event, Alexander Volkanovsky looks to rebound from his loss to Islam Makhachev as he defends his featherweight belt against the undefeated up-and-comer Ilya Topira, Ilya El Matador Topira, who I'm absolutely a massive, massive fan of. I'm honestly thinking he's going to beat Volkanovsky. Super pumped for UFC 298. And to round out February, I believe, yes, it was round out February. On the 24th, we go to Mexico City, Mexico for Brandon Moreno and Brandon Royval 2. It was supposed to be Ramiro Bazzi. He got hurt, of course. Brandon Royval stepping in. Still love it. And the co-main event, also five rounds. Yair Rodriguez, Brian Ortega, two top five featherweights. Um, you also get to see Yasmin Jaraguay, very fun Mexican fighter. She likes the finish fights. Edgar Chavez and Daniel Lacerda booked for the fourth time now, I think, something like that. The return of Raul Rosas Jr., the uh, 18-year-old sensation. He might be 19 now. Actually, knockout artist Manuel Torres, um, who else? Francisco Prado, Claudio Puelles, Mohamed Naimov. That's going to be a fun, fun card. And the farthest fight out that we know at the moment um, is UFC 301, which is rumored to be going down in Rio de Janeiro on May 4th. And it's Yasmin Lucindo versus Carolina Kowalski. So very, very fun stuff there. UFC 300 been a big topic as of late. Um, I will say, last time we talked, uh, we knew about all the current fights that have been announced. As of right now, we do have eight. do have eight with Zhang Weili and Yan Cheonan and Justin Gaethje versus Max Holloway confirmed for the main card. Uh, and if we were to add Bilal Muhammad and Leon Edwards, that would be confirmed for the main card. So I'll be interesting to see if they throw on a fourth title fight on that card. I don't know if they're going to do that. And then I also wonder what the other main card fight will be. Because right now I'm leaning Charles Oliveira, Armin Tazukrian, but we'll see what other fights wind up on the uh, card as it continues to come together. But it's slowly ticking down. April 13th will be here before we know it. So, yeah, that's all the new UFC news that you guys at least need to know about that has gone on recently. Alrighty, let's do a little, uh, let's do a little fun check-in with the Forty-Eight Laws of Power. This book I've been reading. I did not read it a lot this weekend. I was, uh, I was out and about with the fellas, with the boys, you know, having a, having a good old time. Just, uh, just going, going after it, going out to the town, hitting up the bars, um, staying respectful. You know, I'm a respectful young boy. Don't think I cause any misbehavior. That is not who I am. But um, in the law, in the 48 Laws of Power, we're currently on a... I'm trying to remember what we talked about last. I think I think I read like five laws on Tuesday, uh, Thursday. Actually, you know what? We'll start with Law 8. We'll do Laws 8, 9, 10, and 11. So Law number 8 was make other people come to you. Use bait if necessary. When you force the other person to act, you are the one in control. It is always better to make your opponent come to you, abandoning his own plans in the process. Lure him with fabulous gains, then attack. Mm. That is very intimidating. That is very, very intimidating. Um, I don't really know. I'm trying to recall what this really was about. I think it was talking about how Napoleon, of course, Napoleon Bonaparte, notable French, what was he, a general or dictator, whatever he was, a leader? Back in like the 1500s, 1600s, I mean, he was sent to an island and he managed to get himself off the island. And it was people were wondering, how was he able to do this? And it was his second in command, Talleyrand, this guy named Talleyrand, was um, secretly pulling the strings and actually managed to come to power after he got um, Napoleon off the island and then got him kicked out of power again. Very, um, very interesting story. Um, this is kind of the uh, an image, to paint you all an image right now from this chapter. The honeyed bear trap. The bear hunter does not chase his prey. 
A bear that knows it is hunted is nearly impossible to catch and is ferocious if cornered. Instead, the hunter lays traps baited with honey. He does not exhaust himself and risk his life in pursuit. He baits, then he waits. Very interesting. Very interesting. I'm trying to think how I could apply this to my life. Maybe if I'm trying to lure in a internship. Maybe if I'm at a job fair or something, that I try and get people to come to me. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Some of these laws, it's hard to apply to my life when I'm not trying to like take over a country or something. I have, I have no idea, but it's fun to read. And um, honestly, I've been trying to read before bed, but honestly, I just keep going back on my phone. I'm trying to, trying to you know, get better sleep. Honestly, I, I get seven hours. I get seven hours of sleep every night. Law number nine, win through your actions, never through argument. This is a good one. It's a very good one. I mean, thinking about it. Think about it. People don't win when they're arguing, okay? They win when they actually get after and do something. And this is the kind of, are you a doer or a sayer? You know what? Honestly, I like to be a doer. And I'm a sayer because I talk a lot. I talk, I talk man, when, do, when am I not talking? Man, let me host a podcast, for goodness sake. But trying to get after it every week, trying to make some money, trying to stay proactive, get, get stuff done at all times. That's kind of what I took from it. Um, this is kind of what says any momentary triumph you think you have gained through argument is really a fearic victory. The resentment and ill will you stir up is stronger and lasts longer than any momentary change of opinion. It is more powerful to get others to agree with you through your actions without saying a word. Demonstrate, do not expliciate. Very, um, very profound, and I would say for someone who I don't really get in too many like physical arguments, but certainly when there's an argument going on. If I'm able to show that I'm right, it is better than saying I am right. Because people, people like to see, like to see stuff getting done. They don't like to be told that it's getting done. How about that? Law number 10. This one was the wildest one. Infection. Avoid the unhappy and unlucky. And this one's wild. Law number 10 is absolutely wild because it basically tells you that you need to stay away from people who are constantly unhappy and sad. And that doesn't mean someone who's depressed. That doesn't mean like, hey, someone's sad right now, leave them behind. But if someone is always in a state of bad mood, like I'm talking, let's say you're always complaining. People who always complain are the worst type of people. I mean, no one likes you if you complain all the time. And I'll say that. I'll say that. People want to feel joy when they're around you. They want to feel uplifted. They want to be happy, okay? They don't want to be, they want to be sad. And, you know, even, you know, it's okay to listen to, like, your partner, all right? Your parents, your friends, a colleague or whatever, complain about something, and then you kind of offer a solution. You know, you all kind of bond over that, and you kind of move on from that. But if it's every day, my life sucks, my life sucks, man, my life sucks, my life sucks, then eventually you're going to kind of start to fall into the same trap they are, even if you don't think so. So it says to stay away. And this was the craziest thing because at the end of every chapter, there's a reversal where it kind of like, um, like for the, uh, what, which, what was the other law that I just talked about? The bear trap, make other people come to you. It kind of talks about like the downside of you could just be waiting and no one comes to you. But for this one, the reversal here says, this law admits of no reversal. Its application is universal. There is nothing to be gained by associating with those who infect you with their misery. There is only power and good fortune to be obtained by associating with the fortunate. Ignore this law at your own peril. I mean, my goodness, my goodness, I'm a little shaken. A little shaken by that, a little nervous. No, I'm just kidding. I'm a positive guy, you know, and I like to feel when I run into miser miserable people, I, I uplift them. I uplift them, but I don't know. 
We'll see what happens the rest of my life. How about that? And the final law that I read was learn to keep people dependent on you. Judgment, to maintain your independence, you must always be needed and wanted. The more you are relied on, the more freedom you have. Make people depend on you for their happiness and prosperity, and you have nothing to fear. Never teach them enough so that they can do without you. That one is that one is diabolical. I mean, I honestly think 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 about it. I say honestly too much. Now, I've I've been hearing it. I've been hearing it this episode. But picturing that you are convincing someone that they need you in their life to be happy or to even like go about your day, their day. I mean, that is despicable. I, oh my, oh my goodness. I, uh, I don't know if I would apply that one. That seems kind of like a dark, dark mentality. Now some like dark mythology or whatever you will going about the world like that. But I don't, I don't know. Maybe I should try to apply all of these laws, all 48 laws, put them in the practice. Who can depend on me? Who can depend on me? It'd be honestly the bill player. Whoever pays the bills, that is who is people can be become dependent on. So who knows? We'll see what the future holds. I think I've said that twice. I actually I saw something funny happened. Where was it? Um I was watching Kill Tony. If no one knows, big Kill Tony fan. It's a show on YouTube where comedians come on. Uh, it's hosted by Tony Hinchcliffe, Brian Redband. They have celebrity guests all the time. And comedians come on. They get a minute to perform. And then they're interviewed. It's super funny, super awkward. Uh, very good. And the last one, two guys brought up, like, the same topic. And it was kind of like that saying, like, um, if I had a, if I had a nickel for every time something happened, like, uh, if I had a nickel for every time I drove past a rainbow colored car, uh, today, I would have two nickels, which is very weird because it, I, um, um, you wouldn't think you'd see two things. And that's what kind of happened with, um, the situation I was in. I don't know. Feel like I'm rambling. Let's move on from the 48 laws of power to a little fun thing I like to call fighters we need in UFC EA Sports 5. And this is a fun a fun little thing I want to tell you guys. They added five new fighters to the update um, last week. And of those five fighters, three lost. Three lost at UFC 297. Uh, that was being Mike Mallett, Charles Dardane, and Myra Bueno Silva. They all lost in just hilarious fashion. And I don't know. We'll see if Halton Almeida and Ian Gary can win. But, I mean, we have some fighters that shouldn't be in it. And we have some that should. So here are a couple of fighters I think the UFC should have in their game as of right. Now, um, women's divisions, honestly, um, there's no one. There's no one. They're adding Macy Barber, currently ranked number six at women's flyweight. That's pretty much one of the only ones that I would care to play as in the moment. I'm a little surprised number seven ranked Marina Rodriguez in the women's strawweight division is not currently in the game, but there's really no need for her. Looking at the women's flyweight division, you've got Natalie Silva, Kareen Silva, Tracy Cortez all on the rise, but no one of immediate immediate need. And as for women's bantamweight, there is absolutely no. So women's divisions are pretty good at the moment. Checking out the heavyweight division, they just add Halt Lameda. He's an amazing add. Looking at number nine ranked Sergey Spivak, looking at number 11 ranked Marcin Tibera, they're both coming off of losses, so there really isn't a need for them except to just have more fighters, which I think they should. So at heavyweight, there really isn't anyone that I would need at the moment. But if I could choose someone from heavyweight to have in the game, honestly, unranked, it'd probably be Shamil Gazia, but for someone ranked, probably Sergey Spivak. But that's that's just how I view, uh, view it. Light heavyweight, they do a pretty good job. 
of adding fighters. Uh, I mean, really, really they've done amazing. Carlos Ulberg will be taking on Dominic Reyes coming up, and Carlos Ulberg should destroy him in round number one, and I would love to see Carlos Ulberg in the game. Number 15 ranked Dustin Jacoby. I mean, he's been a legend in the UFC. He's been an MMA guy for a while. Surprised he's not in the game. Number 11 ranked Ryan Spann. Also surprised he's not in the game. But other than that, the top 10 fighters, including your champion, are all in the game. They do a pretty good job at men's light heavyweight. And one of the main people that I uh, got this idea from is when we go over to the middleweights. And that is number 7 ranked Brendan Allen, who is on a 6-fight win streak. Five of those finishes. Get this guy in the game. I mean, come on. Come on. Why is he not in the game? Just, just absolutely atrocious. And honestly, looking at our next main event, number 8-ranked Roman Dolodize and number 11 Nazanivov, neither of them are in the game. So we can't even have, uh, we can't even play that fight. You can't even play a main event fight in UFC 5 because neither guy is in the game. But you know what? Honestly, they, they aren't really like a necessity, but just more more people that I would I would prefer to see. Because I, I, if I'm going to play the game, I want to play with any fighter that I possibly can. Welterweight division, an ever-changing division. They do a pretty good job, but number six ranked Sean Brady, number eight ranked Jeff Neal. I mean, I don't know how those guys aren't in the game. They really should be. Number six, Sean Brady is coming in March. He fights. Sean Brady fights in March, but, he, but Jeff Neal takes on Ian Gary. They added Ian Gary. Don't know why they chose not to add Jeff Neal into the game. So interesting politics going on there. Men's lightweight, number 15-ranked Drew Dober is the co-main event next weekend. Still not in the game. Now Marcano's opponent is in the game. Really, really should be. Number 9-ranked Jalen Turner is coming in March. So that's very good news. And the big one, number 11-ranked Benoit Saint-Denis, who is in the co-main event of UFC 299 against Dustin Poirier, is not in the game. They should do a surprise drop, add him to the game. But other than that, all but two fighters, all, all but three fighters, my bad, in the men's lightweight division are in the game. So men's lightweight does an amazing job. But Benoit Saint-Denis, Drew Dober would really like to play with them in UFC EA Sports 5. Moving to featherweight unnecessary ads in Charles Jordan, Mike Mallett. They both lost. Absolutely embarrassing. Even Myra Bueno Silva was a wasted ad to the game. Um, but when I look at this, when I look at the men's featherweight division, number nine ranked Mozvar Evlov, who just beat Arnold Allen, who will be ranked number four come tomorrow, is not in the game, and he really should be. We're going to have a number four fighter not in the game. Mozvar Evlov, huge win this weekend, should be put in the game. I hope to see him by April minimum. I mean, we're adding number 10 ranked Bryce Mitchell, and he, he's been he's been brutally finished two of his last three fights. That should say a lot about the state of the division. Men's bantamweight, a fun division, always evolving, always going about stuff. Give me 13-ranked Umar Nurmagomedov. He's going to be a staple of the UFC for a while now. He's undefeated, cousin of Khabib. I mean, come on, get Umar in the game. And number 14-ranked Mario Batista, who's on a six-fight win streak himself. He's a fun fighter. I know he's kind of low in the rankings, so they might be hesitant to add him, but I would, I would enjoy, I would enjoy seeing him if the UFC would be so kind. If the UFC would be so kind, or EA Sports, whoever who's ever in control. And men's flyweight, who is always a neglected division. We don't have the number 5, 6, 8, 9, 11, 12, 13, 14, or 15 fighters. They have, like, no one. They have the champion, Alexander Pantoa. They have number 1, number 2, number 3, number 4. They have the number 4, 1 through 4, 7, and 10. All right. All right. That is... It's embarrassing, the game, the game for that. But um, the, the ads that I really want to see, to, to sum this all up, is I want to see Mosvar Evlov 
I want to see Brendan Allen in the game. Those are two fighters I want to see. And Benoit Saint-Denis. Those three, Mosfar Evlov, Brendan Allen, and Benoit Saint-Denis. Give me them all in the game, and I'll be happy, Dana. All right, Dana White, you don't want to make me upset, do you? Maybe he does. Dana White has so much power, he can do whatever he so chooses. Let's keep this moving along to an interesting interesting thing. What went down this weekend, ladies and gentlemen? The NFL Divisional Round. We had four electric games. Well, no, there weren't four games. Actually, yeah, there were four games this weekend. They were all fun. A lot of fun stuff went down. Um, and I went perfect. I went a perfect four for four on my predictions. You would want a lot of money if you'd have tailed me. And I was the closest on two of the games for score. How about that? Of course, I dropped my scores and I compete against my family. So it was, it was a fun little weekend. I was able to catch all the games pretty much. Uh, maybe not in full because honestly, not all of them deserve to be watched in full. But um, we, did, uh, we did go about it. So let's talk about everything that went down starting off because, I mean, we're going to talk about fantasy football as well. Of course, I do my little fantasy football league. We kicked off the NFL divisional round with the number one seeded Ravens and the number four seeded Houston Texans, Ravens win 34-10, their 14th win of the season for the Ravens. And the Texans will come up short, but C.J. Stroud, rookie year with this young Texans team, did an amazing job. Nothing to knock you, C.J. You were um, absolutely electric this year, but I'm sorry. Lamar Jackson gave you the deeds, I mean, just from the get-go. From the get-go, there was just no stopping them. I mean, the the... The first quarter, okay, it started off 3-3. Looking pretty even. All right, second quarter, touchdown from Nelson Aguilar, punt return from Steven Sims, and then that was all we got from the Texans. Their offense did nothing the second half, so only a field goal from the offense. Lamar, four touchdowns on the day, a touchdown in the third, and two touchdowns and a field goal in the fourth secured secured this 34-10 victory. Looking at total yards, I mean, just some just some crazy stats for you guys here. 352 to 213. Amazing effort from the Ravens defense in this game. Passing yards, 175 to 123. In favor of the Texans, the rushing yards, Ravens ran all over the Texans, 229 to 38. Lamar was incredible. Gus was doing his thing. I mean, Justice was getting the ball. Everyone was doing what they could. 22 first downs to 10 in favor of Baltimore. That is that is incredible. Baltimore ran 20 more plays than the Texans. Um, now, oddly enough, Lamar was sacked three times when CJ was not sacked at all, which I do find pretty interesting. Penalty yards, this is one of the key stats here. 11 penalties called on the Texans, only three on Baltimore. So were the refs being stingy or was the Texans just struggling? I think it was the Texans struggling. Time of possession, 22 minutes for the Texans, 37 minutes, 37 and a half minutes for the Ravens. This was... Just wasn't wasn't the Texans' day. CJ, 19 for 33, had no turnovers, threw for 175 yards. That's all they got done. 22 rushing yards from Devin, 9 from CJ, 7 from Dare Ogunbowal. I mean, they, they were held in check, held in check by this Ravens defense. Nico Collins, 5 catches for 68 yards. Devin single carry, 5 catches for 48 yards. And Dalton Schultz, 5 catches for 43 yards was... All that we got, all that we got. I mean, Desmond King the second, Blake Cashman, and Kurt Hinch all got sacks. That's all. That's all I can give you. That is all I can give you guys. Just wasn't your day. Ravens proved that they are dominant. And Lamar with the Lamar curse, of course, the Lamar playoff curse, snapping it in half 
snapping his in half. No more curse at the moment. Lamar, 16 for 22, 152 yards, two touchdowns passing. He was getting it done there. 11 carries for 100 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, Lamar Jackson was on another realm securing, just putting a little emphasis that he is the MVP of this season of the NFL. Justice Hill, 13 carries for 66 yards. Gus, 10 carries for 4 yards. And Dalvin Cook was given 8 carries, bitch, to get 23 yards. Wow, they're trying to get that boy a ring. Receiving-wise, Zay Flowers, four catches, 41 yards. Rashad Bateman, three catches, 39 yards. Um, Isaiah Likely and Nelson Aguilar caught the uh, only two touchdowns. Odell Beckham, only one catch for the day. And shout-out to Rokon Smith and Patrick Queen for both getting five tackles. Very nice stuff. From the Ravens' defense, um, I predicted the score to be 42-20. to 20. My dad had 35-27. We were both 18 away, um, of course, from being correct. So good, good stuff to both of us. He got 13 points in picks points this weekend. I got 16. My mom got three. And Lexi got 11. Checking out fantasy, Lamar Jackson, 36.08. I mean, it just makes sense. Amazing stuff. My friend Tyler had him in our little four-man fantasy league. He'll be advancing to the conference championship. And honestly, I don't know. Them and the Chiefs, that's going to be an excellent game. I feel like the 49ers and Lions, the 49ers are an easy pick for favorite. But this Ravens and Chiefs matchup is going to be very, very interesting. My buddy Landon had Gus Edwards, only 4.9 points from Gus. Just just not giving us much in this one, none whatsoever. No one really had any Texans players in this one. I don't think anyone did. Did I even have a Ravens player? I had the Ravens defense. They got me 9 points. Zay Flowers got me 8.1. You know, they they were doing their part, I suppose. Uh, And Dane, Dane has Justin. Justin Tucker got 13 kicking points this game. I mean, proven that he is just as amazing as any other kicker in this league. The GOAT, the GOAT kicker for a lot of people. Baltimore Ravens, I will see you in the next round. 14-4 and four currently on the year. Amazing stuff from the Ravens and Texans. I can't recall. I think I missed the start of this game, but I did watch like the whole whole rest of it at my buddy's house. We were playing some, uh, what were we doing? We were playing some drinking games. I don't, I don't know what we were doing, but it was a good time. Divisional round, Packers, 49ers. This was, a, this was an interesting one. This was a grind. This was a very close game. Came down to the wire, but the 49ers pull off in the end with a 10-0 fourth quarter, 24-21. They're going to the NFC Championship. And we can all thank Jordan Love for throwing a pick when the game mattered. First quarter, only one field goal from the uh, Packers. I was getting worried we were going to see another, another Packers blowout win. Second quarter gets us going. George Kittle touchdown. Eric Carlson field goal. Then had it 7-6. Third quarter, we finally got some touchdowns running. Bill Melton touchdown. Tucker Craft touchdown. And a Christian McCaffrey touchdown. Had it 21-14 Green Bay heading into the fourth. Jake Moody, though, would hit a 52-yarder. Christian McCaffrey would run it in with a minute left. And Anders Carlson would, of course, miss a uh, field goal. Just as I expected he would. He misses a kick every game. And then on the final play, Jordan Love throws a pick. Actually, on the final drive, not even the final play. And with uh, the the one-minute drill, he throws a pick. Typical Packers fashion. I absolutely loved to see it. Total yards, I mean, it was pretty, pretty even. 356-330 in favor of the 49ers. Passing yards in favor of the 49ers. Rushing yards in favor of the Packers. I mean, honestly, this was just an even, even game. Um, there's really nothing that really points that really like gets me. The two picks from Jordan Love was pretty much the determinant of who was going to win this game. 
Honestly, close game, though, for the 49ers team, which was pretty dominant. I mean, this was this kind of a rude awakening. But then again, the Packers were on absolute heater these last two weeks. Jordan Love, 21 for 34, 194 yards, two touchdowns, and two picks. But leading this Packers team to the divisional round in your first year starting, your future is very bright. Aaron Jones, 18 carries for 108 yards, was absolutely good, doing amazing. No touchdown, though. No uh, rushing touchdown from Aaron Jones. Receiving-wise, Romeo Dobbs, four catches, 83 yards. He's a, he's a good wide receiver. I'll give him that. Jaden Reed, four catches, 35 yards. Bo Melton, one catch, 19-yard tutty. Good for Bo. Luke Musgrave, three catches for 14 yards. Uh, Christian Watson, only one catch for 11 yards. And Tucker Craft, three catches. Uh, one of those was for a touchdown. Very, very cool. Dontavian Wicks, no, did nothing. Did absolutely nothing. Um, Yeah, no uh, no turnovers. Quay Walker did have a five-tackle, four-assist game. It's pretty good from Quay. Packers team, man, the FC North is going to be competitive these next few years. I don't know, but I'm, I'm thinking the Vikings. Once we get a healthy team, Vikings will be uh, able to handle business. We'll speak about the Vikings another day as we got to talk about the 49ers offense. Brock Purdy, 23 for 39, 252 yards and one touchdown. Some games he looks like a system QB. Other days he looks like a star. Seemed to be a system QB day. And Christian McCaffrey put this team on his back. 17 carries, 98 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, if Lamar didn't exist, here's your MVP. He even had seven catches for 30 yards. Fancy monster. George Kittle, four catches, 81 yards, and the only touchdown caught by a 49ers wide receiver. Juwan Jennings, five catches, 61 yards. Brandon Ayuk, three catches, 30 yards. Doing pretty good. Debo, two catches, 24 yards, but did not play in the second half. Hopefully he's not injured, as I do have him in fantasy football. Um, and a shout to Dre Greenlaw. All right, who got both of the picks. Six tackles, two assists. I'm giving him MVP of this game. Dre Greenlaw, I'm sorry, Christian McCaffrey. You know, a two-touchdown 98-yard rushing game is insane. But when a defensive player gets more than one pick, I got to give them respect where respect is due. So, amazing stuff for the 49ers as they will move on. And shout out to Lexi, you know, my girlfriend, 30-17. to 17, She was closest on the score just by a bit. Just beat me by a bit. Um, but my mom picked the Packers. I don't know why you did that, Mom. I don't know why you put faith in the Packers. All right, you got to listen to the pod. Everyone listen to this podcast. You know, I got the picks. I got the locks. Um, Chris McCaffrey, 31.8 fantasy points. I'm really liking his odds against the Lions rushing defense, so expect big things in the conference championship game. Looking at my fantasy team, I mean, I had Debo, so he only got me 4.4, but George Kittle had me 18.1. I was very happy with that. My buddy Landon, did he have anyone? I don't know. I don't actually think Landon had anyone in this game. I know uh, I know Tyler did. Tyler had uh, Jordan Love, who got 12.06, a 10-point drop-off from his excellent wildcard game. He also had Brandon Ayuk, who got him 6.2. Yeah, it's about everything. I'll talk about our total scores heading into the conference round once we get through all of the games. Heading into Sunday, you know, I came in. I wasn't even hungover. Wasn't even hungover from my nightly escapades. Was very responsible. Woke up. Did have to get my car, though. Did have to get my car. Went, did some grocery shopping. Picked up some McDonald's. And then I watched what, honestly, I don't know. This might have been, this might have been game of the, game of the week, uh, or game of the divisional round. I'm probably going to give it to Chiefs and Bills, but Buccaneers and Lions did not disappoint. This was competitive. Both teams showed they wanted it. But Lions come out in the end 23-31, to and the Detroit Lions get their 14th win of the season. Amazing stuff. But let me just say, Baker Mayfield took a doomed Bucks team to the divisional round. 
amazing stuff from Baker Mayfield. You've earned a starting uh, quarterback position for another year in the league. And if the Buccaneers make some changes, I don't really know what. Rashad White was a stud. You can't go wrong with. Uh, you cannot go wrong with Mike Evans. And um, what? Oh my gosh, who's who's the number? Uh, Mike Godwin and uh, Chris Godwin. Um, but, uh, the, honestly, they kept trying to pass to Otto Otten, the tight end, and it was just not working. I was, I was questioning why they kept doing it over and over and over, and I could not find an answer. It was, it was honestly ridiculous, but game is competitive back and forth and scores are being matched up until the fourth quarter. I mean, first quarter field goal from both teams, second quarter touchdown from both teams, including a two minute drive from Baker Mayfield to end the quarter. Uh, touchdown with 15 seconds left. Third quarter, you get Craig Reynolds rushing touchdown and a Rashad White uh, screen pass touchdown. Fourth quarter, though, Jameer Gibbs and Amon Ross St. Brown put up the uh, Lions up by 14. Mike Evans was able to uh, get a touchdown and then a questionable decision. Down by only um down by only eight, they chose to go for uh, two points instead of kicking it. Did not work out for the Bucks. They get the ball back with under two minutes, and on the second play of their drive, Baker Mayfield throws a pick. Absolutely heartbreaking, sad to see, but the Detroit Lions are going to the conference championship. A chance to go to their first Super Bowl. I wish them nothing but luck. Um, this was a pretty pretty wild playoffs uh, division round as the Bills, Texans, and Lions had never made it to the Super Bowl. Bills and Texans will not be going to the Super Bowl, but the Lions still could. Total yards pretty even. I mean, the Lions defense did give up 408 to the Bucks, 319 passing yards, 114 rushing yards for the Lions was a big uh, big discrepancy, big difference. Um, 71 total plays for the Lions to compared to 60 for the Bucks. Pretty interesting. Four sacks allowed for the Buccaneers. Two sacks allowed on Jared Goff by the Lions. Um, and two picks by Baker was what really um nailed the difference. I will say time of possession: 28 minutes exactly for the Bucks, 32 exactly for the Lions. Pretty crazy how those are exact numbers. Uh, Baker Mayfield ends his uh, season, first season with the Bucks, 349 passing yards, three touchdowns, two picks. He was letting it fly all game. Rashad White, only nine carries for 55 yards. It was a passing game. Mike Evans, eight catches, 147 yards, and a touchdown. So maybe the Lions' run defense is better than their backfield. I think that might be the case. Kate Otten, five catches, 65 yards, one touchdown. Chris Godwin, four catches, four yards. Rashad White, four catches, 36 yards, and a touchdown. Very, uh, very cool stuff there. And who got the picks? Uh, no picks from Cherikov. How about that? Chase McLaughlin, one for two on field goals. Uh, hit one from 43. Yeah, kickers miss field goals tail of the weekend. Lions, Cherikov, 30 for 43, 287 yards, two touchdowns. Amazing work, Cherikov. Jameer Gibbs, nine runs, 74 yards, and a touchdown. Excellent. Dave Montgomery, only 10 rushes for 33 yards. They just weren't utilizing him. On a fourth and goal, though, they did use Craig Reynolds to punch in a touchdown from the one-yard line. Very cool. Monroe St. Brown, I mean, eight catches, 77 yards, a touchdown. It don't get much better than that. Sam Laporta, nine catches, 65 yards. Dude is dude's the best tight end in the league at the moment. I'm sorry, Travis. I'm sorry. You had a good game, but Sam Laporta is balling. Jameer Gibbs, four catches, four yards. Brock Wright, one catch for 29 yards. And Josh Reynolds, two catches. One was for a touchdown. Uh, your picks men's were Derek Barnes and C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Excellent work. And Brian Branch had eight tackles with one assist. Crazy stuff from him. Actually, Ifitu Melifanwu had nine or six uh, tackles for uh, with three assists. Very good stuff. Lions and 49ers. 
man, that is going to be a close, close game. I uh, Oh, my goodness. I, I don't even know what to pick for that. I don't know what to pick for that. I'm just kidding. I'm going with the 49ers. But, Lions, I wish you luck. I wish you luck, Lions. You know, I predicted, I predicted you to win this. My dad was closest. He had it 27-24. I had 27-21. Um, but I do think they can beat the 49ers. I think that, you know, Brock Purdy, they choked last year. 49ers team clearly, clearly likes to play close games. They've been blown out by the Ravens. Um, Lions, you need to come in with some luck. The downfall is that this will be a home game. Um, and as we all know, the 49ers did pretty good at home. What was their home record again this uh, this season? They went, including this game, they went a 6-3 and three at home. That, they had actually had a better road record. How about that? Lions on the road, they've gone 6-3. and three. This will be a this will be an interesting clash. Wow, just the script writers did an amazing job with this one. My goodness, my absolute goodness. Um, fantasy wise, Jameer Gibbs gets twenty one point four points for Mister Tyler Barishki. Um, he'll move on. I don't see any Buccaneers players. I don't think anyone took any Buccaneers players. No one is expecting them to make it past the uh, first round. I know, I know, I had some people. I have a Monroe St. Brown. He got 21.7. Dave Montgomery only got 7.7. You know, he wasn't doing too much. And, uh, yeah, Dane has no more players left. Uh, very interesting. We'll talk about the last game real quick right now. Um, of course, we ended things with an absolute masterpiece. The Chiefs visited the Bills, and this came down all the way to the end. Chiefs win 27-24. to Their season continues with their 13th win the Bills will end with 12 wins on the year. Another heartbreaking loss, and this Bills franchise is going to be turned upside down. I can already, I can already tell. I can already tell. I mean, every game started off pretty slow in the first quarter. A field goal from both men, 27-yarder from Tyler Bass, 47-yarder from Harrison Bucker. Second quarter, um, touchdown, two, two running touchdowns from Josh Allen, 29-yarder from Harrison Bucker, and a 22-yard Travis Kelsey touchdown pass from Patrick Mahomes had it 17-13 Bills heading into the second half. But Travis Kelsey got us going on the opening drive at the touchdown. They clear secure caught touchdown in the quarter. It was 24-20 Buffalo. But then to kick off the fourth quarter, Isaiah Pacheco would run in a four-yarder, and it would be back and forth until the final, final play of the game where Tyler Bass would miss a Field goal to lose them the game. And actually, now that I'm saying it, it wasn't the final play of the game. They still had time on the clock, but he missed it, and the defense did not come up big. Chiefs were able to kneel it out. Yeah, Chiefs. Oh, my gosh. Patrick Mahomes is literally Josh Allen's father. Patrick Mahomes is Josh Allen's father. He cooks them. He provides for the family. Josh Allen will not be provided for anymore. He's kicked out of the playoffs, and, I mean, heartbreaking, but Chiefs are a dynasty. Chiefs are a dynasty. Patrick Mahomes has now played six seasons as a starting quarterback in the NFL and has made the AFC Championship game in all six. Man, if he continues at this pace, he could be the greatest player of all time. He honestly could. He's got a lot of work to do. He's got a couple rings behind Tom Brady, but if he continues at this pace, we could see. We could be witnessing history. Pretty even matchup. I mean, honestly, the rushing yards for the Bills is all that stands out to me, 182 to 146. Um, Chiefs did have more yards per play at 7.7. Bills had 4.7. Uh, third down efficiency, 50% for the Bills, 7 for 14. Chiefs were only on third down five times today. Uh, this was this is crazy, though. 47 total plays for the Chiefs, 78 for the Bills. Bills had the ball a lot of time. Chiefs defense, man, they're legit. 
Um, Chiefs had one fumble. That was just about it. Bills um, time of possession, 37 minutes to 22 for the Chiefs, I mean. Just absurd. This Chiefs defense really, really coming in clutch in this game. Patrick Mahomes, 215 yards and two touchdowns, only six incompletions. Typical Patrick Mahomes performance. Isaiah Pacheco, 15 carries, 97 yards for a touchdown. He's amazing. I don't know how. Isaiah Pacheco kind of came out of nowhere. Kind of came out of nowhere. Travis Kelsey finally back to his uh, prime form. Five catches, 75 yards, two touchdowns. Love to see it. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, two catches for 62 yards. Rasheed Rice, four catches for 47 yards. And any sacks? No. Good blocking from the Bills. Josh Allen, 186 yards and a passing touchdown, but his 12 carries for 72 yards and two touchdowns was really what showed. I mean, he showed he can run the ball well. James Cook, only uh, 61 yards on 18 carries. Ty Johnson, number 26 running back, got seven carries for 40 yards. So random, they kept running it with him. And, of course, they had a failed punt, a, a fake punt attempt with DeMar Hamlin getting the ball. They were tr- the script writers were trying to cook, and the Chiefs were like, no, absolutely not. No idea why they did that. Just terrible play calling from the Bills. Dalton Kincaid, five catches for 45 yards. Khalil Shakir, seven catches for 44 yards and a touchdown. Stephon Diggs, only three catches for 21 yards. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, mean, I was actually in shock. I was actually in shock just how how poorly Stephon Diggs has been doing. But as, as you know, a wide receiver is only as good as his quarterback. This should be uh, should be taken into account by all sports fans. Looking at the family picks, I was the only one that picked the Chiefs. I was the only one of my friends rooting for the Chiefs. So even though my score prediction of 38-29 to 29 was very off, I'm still, still, I get the extra points because the Chiefs won, man. Chiefs won. Um, I'm closing on my dad, man. Uh, it's going to be interesting. But uh, Chiefs-Ravens for the uh, AFC Conference Championship, a Super Bowl spot on the line is absolutely amazing. We do have the game times for next Sunday. Chiefs will play the Ravens at uh, 2 o'clock, um, and the Lions will play the 49ers at 5.30. Personally, I feel the Chiefs and Ravens will be a more exciting game, but I think if the Lions make it, that'll just be kind of the icing on the cake for just Shocker over the year. You know, they've had an amazing run. They play the number one team. As for the Chiefs, you know, this team, which was not as good as past Chiefs teams, has somehow made it back here. Ravens 49ers is the favorite in Super Bowl. But man, if the Chiefs and Lions make it, that would be pretty, pretty crazy. I'll be interested to see what happens. All my predictions for the conference games will be coming this Thursday. This Thursday for our next episode. Oh, but for fantasy football, yes. Uh, Tyler, he had, who, who did he have? Um, he had Travis Kelsey, who got 24.5. Amazing stuff, Travis. And Harrison Bucker, who got 10 kicking points. For 122.44 uh, divisional round points, he's sitting at 260.91 overall. He still has Harrison Bucker, Travis Kelsey, Brandon Ayuk, Jameer Gibbs, and Lamar to play. He's probably the favorite to win. Landon, currently leading with 267.6 fantasy points. After putting up 206 in the wildcard round, has only 61 in the division round. He does have Patrick Mahomes, Gus Edwards, and Rasheed Rice to play, but, man, Bills D coming up with only four for him. Tyler Baskell only coming up with five. She raised 8.7, and Patrick Mahomes 18.5. I mean, by the way, Patrick Mahomes got 18.48 in the wild card and 18.5 in the divisional round. Dude is putting up some similar stats in back-to-back games. Pretty interesting. As for me, I'm I'm trailing with 224.03, but I have the most players. I still have Isaiah Pacheco, who got 17.57 this week. David Montgomery, Monroe St. Brown, Debo Samuel, Zay Flowers, George Kittle, Ravens. Ravens, how about that? 
So I'd be um I'm pretty much rooting for a uh, Raven. Oh, actually, I'd probably rooting for a Lions Raven Super Bowl, which is one of the more unrealistic options. But and as for Dane, two hundred four point five six in last thirty one point eight points from Chris McCaffrey. Thirteen for Justin Tucker are good, but he only has Justin Tucker and Chris McCaffrey left. So I mean, hell, if the Ravens and Forty ers make it, he could be sitting pretty. But a lot to come. No money on the line. Just, just good time. Just good fun with the with the fellas. I wish I would have done this with more people, because it is kind of fun doing this uh, playoff football where you draft players before the playoffs begin, and those players have to last you the whole playoffs. It is. Uh, it becomes pretty interesting. It is a lot of fun, and we got one more thing to talk about here on the podcast. And that is bum, 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 our UFC 297 review. Of course, I'm pumped for this. I love talking about UFC. And I'll see it's nice to have a little chill episode. Not too long. Shouldn't be too long today. Might be able to end it under an hour and a half, which is rare because we go. And there are days I used to fight to get to an hour. And now every episode, I can never get under an hour. I just have too much to share, too much information to throw at you guys. But yes, UFC 297 went down. It happened. We went six for six on picks, and that's not a hundred percent rate. That's a fifty percent rate. Six out of twelve correct. Six right. Six wrong. Because um, I put all my hope in Canadian male fighters, and they all let me down. It was wild. It was wild watching Canadian after Canadian just lose and lose and lose, and I, I was just in shock. I was like, are you kidding me? You guys are in your home country, your home nation. You're supposed to be having an amazing game. And they just weren't. They were sucking so hard. Um, but, you know, on the year now, for uh, main card predict, main card we went 3-2. and two. Main card we went 3-2. and two. I was surprised both the people I picked lost. I won't lie. I was I, the, the ones I was nervous about, I all got right. And the ones I was sure on, I got wrong. So that's just a lot of my confidence. All time, though, we are sitting at 515 correct, 364 incorrect since I began this predictions um, way back in 2020. Of course, I didn't have a podcast channel. I didn't have a YouTube channel. I would legit sit in my basement, make them to myself, and kind of act like I had my own little show. It's kind of sad when you think about it. But you know what? Let's talk about all the fights that went down. Um, so on the year, actually, because I am going to keep track of my yearly predictions for full cards, because I do make full card picks, but I only count my main card as official. But um, unofficially, if we include the prelims, I'm 14-9 and nine now on the year. Yikes. Yikes. But think if we think about it, if I'd have gotten, if I'd have ran a six-leg six, um, parlay, I would have won some money. Um, but the most famous, uh, the most popular parlay could have been if you'd have had Neil Magny, Hakuel Pennington, Driscus Duplessis, um, that's like a plus seven. It would have been a plus seven hundred parlay, which would have won you easily over a grand. Because when you when you parlay, it adds even more stuff to it. Um, very cool, very very cool. All right, let's get right into it. Let's not delay. We kicked off the night with Jimmy Flick. And Malcolm Gordon, Malcolm Gordon, Canadian boy, representing his home country. And I knew he wouldn't win. I knew he wouldn't win, but this was a grind, man. This was a grind for Jimmy Flick. I mean, we kicked off round one, and it was just competitive off the get-go. And Jimmy Flick was all about the takedown. Malcolm Gordon instead took him down, was dominating the lane on the punches. I mean, 55 total strikes to four. 19 significant strikes to zero. Jimmy Flick had two submission attempts. I mean, nothing was going his way. And then round two... 
He just, you know, he's getting pieced up by Malcolm Gordon, and he took him down, submitted him. I mean, and this was, he locked an arm triangle from half guard, and it was tight, and Malcolm Gordon had to tap, and Jimmy Flick might have just saved his UFC career. He had been finished, he'd been TKO'd in back-to-back fights. Um, this was the final fight on his contract, and guess what? Guess what? He uh, might have just saved his career. But as for Malcolm Gordon, he's now been finished in three straight fights. He is 2-5 and five in the UFC. All those losses, he's been finished. So Malcolm Gordon, bye-bye. I had Jimmy Flick round one submission. He got down in round two. Um, so you know what? Not too shabby. Not too shabby, Jimmy. You're uh, you're not too bad of a flyweight. Um, this was his 15th submission win, and he's now 17-7. and seven. Jimmy the Brick Flick. Got us the Canadians going. This had so much promise. It was so much promise after this. I was like, I was, I was just amazed. I was amazed. But um, yeah. Moving on, I should, I, I, you know, I had Jasmine Jasu Davish winning by unanimous decision. I, th- I knew she was gonna beat Priscilla Cashwea, but the fact that she just destroyed Priscilla Cashwea. I mean, oh my gosh, a round three submission from Jasmine Jasu Davish. Oh, a little anaconda choke too. How rare is that? Get this. 326 total strikes to 26. She had 300 more total strikes. The most, I think this this is a record. She set a record. Utter domination from Jasmine. She was showing the Canadian boys how it's done. She was like, let me humble you all real quick. Absolutely wild. Oh my goodness. Round one, I mean, Jasmine came in just with a fury, took her down, and just would not stop beating on her. 138 total strikes to five, to five. Round two comes around, okay? 110 significant strikes to two, and she didn't even land a takedown. Didn't even land a takedown. Round three, 78 total strikes to 19. Ref had seen enough, I mean, my goodness. And I won't lie, Matthew Roca took his sweet time stopping this one. Of the freaking almost 15 minutes this went down. This was like a 14-minute, 39-second fight. 11 minutes and 25 seconds control time. On only two takedowns for Jasmine. Jasu Davicious, I mean, come on. Come on, Jasmine. You you are a stud. And after losing to Tracy Cortez last year in September at UFC Noche, this was a great rebound win for her. And since 2022, I mean, she's gone 3-1. and one. Only losses are to Tracy Cortez. Actually, in her in the UFC, her only losses are to Nally Silva and Trace Cortez by unanimous decision. By the way, um, those women are currently ranked number ten, and where's Nally Silva at nine? So she's her only losses are decision losses, which she didn't even do bad in to the number nine and uh, ten or whatever women in the women's flyweight division. Jasmine, you were uh, very impressive, very impressive in this one. As for Priscilla Cashweta, now been submitted in round three in back to back fights. She she might have to go. She might have to go. She clearly has no ground game. She's really only a striker. But um, I was happy that uh, Jasmine got it done. Very, very cool. Very cool. Her only, only her second submission win of her career. Only her fourth finish of her UFC career of her ten fights. Jasmine, trust me, you'll be sticking around. Keeping us rolling. Um, Johan was the beginning of the end. The very beginning of the end for Canadian fire. Actually, Malcolm Gordon. I forgot Malcolm Gordon was actually the true beginning. But you can just tell after Johan lost that there was something up with these Canadian fighters. Um, Sam Patterson, you know, who had just been brutally knocked out by Yanal Ashmaz um, in March of last year. Um, I was thinking wouldn't, wouldn't bring it. But instead, literally Sam Patterson took down Johan and submitted him in two minutes. He just took down, submitted him with a rear naked chokehold, and that was that. 
I mean, that was all that, like, there's nothing to talk about. A two-minute submission. Oh, by the way, Jasmine got a performance bonus. No performance bonus for Sam Patterson, but I just, just there's it, his sixth submission of his career. Good job. But um, Johan Laness has now been submitted in round one in back-to-back fights. And in his uh, UFC career, he's gone one in three and been finished in uh, all three of those losses. So, Johan, you're definitely gone. That's for Sam Patterson. You know what? You won on the Contender Series in Season 6. You've gone one and one. You eventure UFC loss. I'm happy to see what Sam Patterson brings. And also, he's a 6'3 welterweight. I mean, he's a tall boy. If you want to know size-wise, uh, Colby Covington and Kamar Usman are like 5'10 and 5'11. So... Sam Patterson brings the height. He's a little skinny boy, too. Sam, happy for you um, that you're able to get a win here. Johan, man, I thought you would uh, get a little TKO here. I thought you'd come up with some fire. You brought out no fire. Sam, sorry I doubted you. Our second uh, women's fight of the night, and honestly, did not disappoint at all. And it would be the last time a Canadian won on this card, as Jillian Robertson gets a TKO over Poliana Viana. And round one, I mean, Jillian took her down almost four minutes of control time, hunting for submissions. Uh, just, I mean, Jillian Robertson, she is amazing. She's amazing. And by the way, she has submitted Rose Namajunas in grappling. She has amazing jujitsu. And there was a crazy bet. There's a crazy bet for a Jimmy Flick, Jasmine Jasu, uh, Devicious, and uh, Jillian Robertson submission. And the better was watching this fight. And instead, Jillian Robertson, when she had a clear submission attempt, chose to just TKO Poliaviana in round number two. Three minutes in, gets the TKO win. Um, pretty funny watching the betters lose their mind. Absolute bad beat. But Jillian Robertson, man, I was happy for her, man. I was happy for her. And honestly, three and one her last four fights. That only loss, uh, you uh, name decision to Tabitha Ritchie. By the way, he's ranked number twelve in women's strawweight. Tabitha Ritchie, very good. Jane Robertson, amazing, amazing. Of that three and one run, by the way, all three of those are round two finishes. Um, what is it, Jane Robertson? That was her second KO of her career. Second KO of her long illustrious career. Wow, impressive stuff. Impressive stuff, Jillian. I was happy for you. Earns a performance bonus. Very well deserved. Poliana Viana, you have now been submitted in round... Uh, you've now been finished in round two in back-to-back fights. Uh, one in three, your last four. Um, wow. I do not know how long Tabitha... Uh, not Tabitha. Poliana will be around. She does do OnlyFans, I believe. At least she cosplays. So uh, maybe that could be her next full-time job. So how about that, boys and girls? How about that? Four straight prelim fights. All finishes, vibes were high, and we kept those vibes going with our first decision of the night. And what I tell you, what I tell you, even though I picked Serhei Sadeh to win this fight, I told you all it would be fight of the night, okay? And if Driscus Duplessis and Sean Strickland did not exist, this would have been fight of the night. Roman Ramon Tavares beat Serhei Sadeh by split decision in an absolute classic. I called it as being an amazing fight. I said fight of the night, you know, I was being ambitious. But um, amazing, amazing stuff. And the, the tale of the tape was, all right, let me just tell you the tale of the fight, is that Roman Tavares, all right, had Serhei bloody, but Serhei was pushing the pace more. And this was a very close fight. I mean, totals from the fight, Serhei today, 79 significant strikes to 62. Ramon did get a round two knockdown, so that was played a factor. 81 total strikes to 62 in favor of Serhei. 0 for 4 in takedowns for uh, Serhei today. So, 
Um, it was a very, very, very cool, very interesting fight. It was bloody. I was with all my boys. It was getting uh, pretty intense. Um, actually, we're getting a spam risk caller live on the podcast. This is this is actually a once a lifetime thing. Let's see what the spam risk has to say. Hello. Hello. Okay, they must be trying to use my voice to uh, steal my information. That was, I thought we were going to get someone fun. You know, I can never get a good telemarketer on here. I was like, we're going to have a live podcast moment. No, nothing fun. I'm not even going to edit that out. I thought that was pretty funny. But yeah, Sir Hayes today, Roman Tavares. I mean, round one, Ramon is uh, outstriking him 22 to 17. He takes round one. Round two, very tricky. Sir Hayes was um, beating him on the feet, but then did get dropped. He kind of rebounded very quickly from it. Round three, Sir Hayes uh, was pushing the pace more, was getting pieced up, did have more toll strikes. At the end of the day, this was a very close decision. Very um, Could have gotten either men's weight, and Ramon Tavares gets the win. Second straight win uh, in his uh, little, uh, little run here. Of course, fought on day was contender series back in October. And as for Sir Hay, I mean, this was a rematch against Ramon. He lost. It was close, though. These guys will both be in the UFC for a long time. And they, even Ramon Tavares said this, you know, I'll run back that fight. I'm sure we'll have a rematch. We're one and one. Uh, we'll meet each other down the line. These two are absolute studs. Sir Hay was Canadian. You know, he was Canadian. I think he was from, like, Kajikistan, though, or something. But, heck, does snap his six-fight winning streak. That sucks. But this was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Very much enjoyed that fight. Then we began our streak of just doozies. Just doozies. Sean Woodson, Charles Jourdain. Sean Woodson, I just don't like you, Sean. I'm sorry. And it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's the fact that you were facing a fan favorite in Charles Jourdain, who was, you know, in Canada, his home country. And Sean fought the typical... The typical just technical striking battle. And he had length. He had length. He had height. I told you this dude had five inches in height on him. Nine reach, nine inches in reach, I mean. And, you know, he just pieced up. Charles Rodin, the whole fight. I mean, 80 significant strikes to 60. It was a casual striking bout. I mean, round one, 31 to 18. Casual strikes him. 28 to 22. Casual strikes him. Round three, Charles Rodin only, um, was only one behind. 21 to 20. And this was a split decision, so, I mean, it should add something. I mean, Charles was able to um, kind of push the pace a bit in round two. Could have gone either man's um, way, but it was definitely in favor of Sean Woodson, okay? And it was a very awkward moment where Bruce Buffer, I could tell, was having some trouble with uh, the split decision. As he said, uh, Judge whatever scores it 29-28 for Sean Woodson. And then Judge 2 scores it 29-28 for Charles Sardane. And this is exactly how he said the winner. And the winner, Judge Whatever, scores the contest 29-28 for your winner by split decision, Charles Woodson. And it sounded like Charles Dordain and the ref raised Charles Dordain's hand, and Sean began to walk away disappointed. Charles started celebrating. And then DC comes in and goes, no, Sean, you won. He said Sean Woodson, but it sounded like Charles Woodson or something. And then Charles was sad, and everyone started booing. But you know what, Sean Woodson? I'll give you your respect. You know, it doesn't matter if I don't like your style. That's not what matters. He's on a little five-fight unbeaten streak, only one draw, four wins in there. You know what? He's stringing them together. And a big win over Charles Jourdain, who for no reason was added to UFC EA Sports 5. I mean, there's no need for that. But um, it does suck. It does suck to see Charles lose this one. But as for what should be next for Sean Woodson, I mean, give this man a grappler. Give this man a grappler. Uh, does he deserve a shot up the rankings? I don't know. Him versus Alex Caceres intrigues me. Him versus, who did MMA Theory? Very fun guy I follow on the Instagram. 
very fun guy to follow on Instagram. Always doing amazing, amazing proposals for who should who should fight each other. Let me actually find who he said Sean Woodson should fight because it was an excellent. He said Bryce Mitchell. I love that. I love that because Sean Woodson has not fought a grappler. He has fought strikers, so no one's been really able to push his. Because uh, when you're a tall guy with lanky arms and you fight strikers, you can just stand on the outside and just clip them. Okay. Now, someone like Bryce Mitchell is going to be trying to take you down all the time. That could prove something interesting. So I agree with MMA theory. Bryce Mitchell could be a very fun opponent. Plus, Bryce Mitchell really needs to fight someone lower capability. Stop giving him top guys like Ian Topira and Josh Emmett, who are literally, who have fought for belts, who are going to fight for belts in the past year. So, I mean, man, good stuff for Sean Woodson, Charles Jordan. It was just the luck of the Canadians tonight. And then Garrett Arnfield took on Brad Katona, and I do not understand. First off, Garrett Arnfield, I'm I'm sorry I didn't pick you. I'm sorry. You know, you knocked out Toshami Kazama back in August. I was kind of a hater. I'm like, Brad Katona is going to give you the deeds. Brad Katona is going to submit you. And Brad just looked lost out there, almost like, you know, he looked like how he, like an ultimate fighter, someone coming off the ultimate fighter who's not UFC ready. I mean, you know, he got outstruck by Garrett. 130 to 76, significantly 105 to 64. By the way, Garrett Armfield landed at 62% land rate. That's impressive. Brackettone's only game plan was takedowns. He went four of nine for four minutes and 35 seconds. Um, best round was round three, which he actually uh, got outstruck 33 to 19, but almost got three three minutes of control time. It's only a real round. Give him Garrett outstruck him in the previous two. Garrett Armfield, a little two fight win streak. That's for that's for. I don't even know if Brad Katona should come back after that. Because, I mean, after putting on a fight of the night war against Coy Gibson, you do that in your home nation of Canada? Embarrassing, Brad. Embarrassing. Garrett Armfield, good stuff for you. You will get your 10th professional victory. Good job, Garrett. Good job. I'm excited to see what um comes to you next. I think MMA Theory proposed Brian Kelher. I very much like that. The man who just got knocked out by Cody Garbrandt. Very, very fun stuff. That was the prelims. The first four, amazing. The la- Actually, the first five, Ramon and Sergey was amazing. But Sean Woodson, Garrett Arnfield, just, just brutal. Just brutal fights. Kicking off the main card, we had Mosvar Evlov and Arnold Allen. And what do you know? Well, no, I said this would be a split decision, but Mozvar got it done. Mozvar Evlov, ranked number nine, will jump up to the number four spot as he beat Arnold Allen by unanimous decision. Tell the fight. I mean, what I tell you? Significant strikes, 59 to 51 in favor of Arnold, but takedowns 5 of 17 for three and a half minutes. Mozvar just had the pressure. He had that Marab Dovashelli pressure. And this was very interesting. So round one. Round one, Arnold's could have won, but Mosvar, you know, he landed two takedowns, minute and a half of control time. It was pre- it was pretty evident, okay. But that was, that was probably one of the more better rounds. Round two, Mosvar outstruck him by three on the feet, two of two on takedowns, almost minute control time. Another close round, another close round. Arnold Allen in the third, though, came alive, 29 to 17, and significant strikes, defended five takedowns, and landed some knees, which were ruled, they, was, they were very close to being, uh, grounded knees, you know, Mosvar kept throwing his hand down, throwing his hand down, and the knees kept landing, so the ref stopped it for a bit, gave it a gave it a break, but um, could have gone either way, but I just feel the right man won, the m- right man won, and Mosvar Evlov improves to 18-0, and is just an insane 8-0 in the UFC, 
Um, Arnold Allen, a little two-fight losing streak now, but those losses are now to Max Holloway and Mosfer Evloff, who is 18-0 now. So, you know, Arnold can easily rebound from this. All right, dude is clearly talented. Dude knows how to box. It was just Mosfar's night tonight. And Dana White said that it was a boring fight. Mosfar did not take too kindly to that. And as we know, Mosfar has some interesting takes on the world. Um, but this is pretty funny. Of his 18 wins now, only seven are by finish. He hasn't even got a finish in the UFC. Mosvar is a grappler as they come. And in the UFC now, he has 9, 11, 20, 29, 33, 38 takedowns. 38 takedowns. If we look at how many he's attempted, it's well over 100. It's got to be well over 100. Mosvar will now be ranked number four and I think sets him up perfectly for to fight the winner or even loser of Yair Rodriguez and Brian Ortega. Because we all know Max Holloway would take on Justin Gaethje. Arnold Allen will probably get bumped down to the number six spot in the rankings, I'm assuming, you know. I could see Arnold Allen fighting Josh Emmett. I could see Arnold Allen rematching. Arnold Allen versus the winner of Calvin Cater and uh, Aljamain Sterling could be good. Him versus Giga Chikadze could be good. A lot of options for Arnold Allen. Most far, though, I really like him versus Ayer, Brian Ortega. Could even do the Josh Emmett fight, but Mosfar deserves a big name next. He really does. And I'm, I don't really see Max Holloway happening, but I will say Max Holloway has not really been tested against a grappler. He's been going up against strikers. Could be a potential option, Mosfar. Very happy for you. I didn't think this fight was, you know what? It wasn't, it was kind of boring. But as someone who was rooting for Mosfar and kind of likes that Dagestani grappling where they just keep taking you over, over, and over again, it wasn't too bad for me. Moving on next, middleweight action as number, what is he ranked now? Number 14 ranked Chris Curtis took on Canadian boy Marc-Andre Bellut. Mark, I'm sorry you lose a split decision, but, you know, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was the luck of the Canadians tonight. And I thought, honestly, thought Chris Curtis would knock this boy out, but no, it went the distance. Verdict MMA, of course, we have that on Monzi, our 2002. Follow me for all my uh, predictions for the main card. I dropped my, like, exact round XP and stuff. Uh, the, every round was judged for Chris Curtis. Declan Woods and Eric Cullen both scored this 30-27 for Chris Curtis. Derek Cleary scores it 29-28 for Marc-Andre Balut. There's just no way. There's no way Marc-Andre Balut might have... He didn't even win a round, honestly. The rounds were close, but Chris Curtis won every round. I mean, round one, 23-18, outstruck him significantly in total. Round two, 51-45, outstruck him significantly in total. Round three, 66-59, significant strikes, 70-61 to 61 total strikes. Okay. Chris Curtis won this fight. The action man outboxed the power bar. But the issue was, is these two weren't friends, but they weren't enemies. They are. They, they actually did promos leading up to this. This looked like a friendly sparring match. It's almost like when you fight your buddy for fun, like you two actually don't hate each other. Like I'm talking, you get punched in the face. You're kind of like, okay, let's go. And you bring it back to him, and then y'all are hugging afterwards. So, you know what? This was a great bounce-back win for Chris Curtis, who had been on a terrible unlucky streak um, in 2023. Happy to see him get the win. I don't know if he's going to get a bump up from number 14 in the rankings, but certainly I see a fight with Paul Craig in his future, honestly. A fight with the ooh, maybe even Kyle Brown. I like a Paul Craig fight, actually. I'm standing by that Paul Craig thing. Marc-Andre Bellut, this was a good shot from after coming off of two big wins in 2023. You know what? You'll go back to drawing board. This isn't a bad loss. You know, it just, it was, it shouldn't have been a split decision. It shouldn't have been a split decision, and Chris probably should have finished him. I won't lie. And this, I think this is the most shocking moment of the night. This is definitely the most shocking moment of the night, the most embarrassing moment of the night. As Mike Mallett, in a fight he was dominantly winning, gets TKO'd with 15 seconds left. 
against Neil Magny. F, I just, I could not believe it. I could not believe it. His shot at the rankings, his shot at coming to stardom, he was just added to EA Sports UFC 5, and Mike Malik chokes at the Bullizer. Oh, my goodness. Just, I could not believe it. And first off, here's the totals from the fight. 57 to 45, Neil Magny had more significant strikes. 110 to 100 total strikes in favor of Neil Magny. One of two on takedowns for almost two minutes for Neil Magny. Four of six on takedowns for six minutes for Mike Mallett, okay? Round one, Mike Mallett. 20 significant strikes to five over Neil Magny. 20 total strikes to 12, okay? He was firmly in control of this fight, okay? Round two, Mike decides to mix in some takedowns even. Two of two, three minutes control time, 67 total strikes to 18, 21 significant strikes to six. Then round three hits. And we saw Mike Mallett fade like I didn't know anyone could. First off, lands two takedowns. Two and a half minutes of control time. No Magny then reverses it with under a minute left. Lands on top. Starts wailing on him. The significant strikes, which were then in favor of Mike Mallett in the previous two rounds at 41 to 11. Neil Magny reverses that and outstrikes him 46 to 4. In just like a little two-minute span, 80 total strikes at 13, TKOs him, knocks him out from top mount. Oh my gosh, Neil Magny finishes Mike Mallett. And why I know why this is more crazy? Why I know why this is the craziest thing? Is I just mentioned how Neil Magny had not gotten a TKO win since 2018. He hadn't gotten a finish since Daniel Rodriguez in 2022, Okay. And he finishes Mike Mallett, who had been on, what was Mallett's win streak on? Mike Mallett had been on a six-fight win streak. He had a 100% finish rate, and he suffers his second career defeat. Wow. Utterly, utterly shocking. Neil Magny, the ultimate gatekeeper. And, you know, I hated on him after the Phil Rowe fight. I hated on him after the Gilbert Burns. After the Ian Gary fight, Neil Magny, you can feed me my words. You you are amazing, man. You are amazing. How about that? Neil Magny is what? He's like 36, dude. How old is, how old is Neil? He's 36. Mike, man, I, I don't know what you do from here. I don't know what you do. How do you recover from this? You were winning. Oh, you were winning two rounds and a half. You had half a round left, and you choke. Oh, man, in Canada, his stock just plummeted, all right? I'm talking a plane into the ocean, a tragic plummet for Mike Mallett. Neil Magny, good for you. Neil Magny remains ranked at number 13. Honestly, what do we do next with Neil? We have to reward him. We have to reward Neil Magny. Um, look, number nine, Vicente Luque doesn't have an opponent. I don't think Vicente and Neil Magny have ever done battle. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, I don't see any Neil Magny matchups with Vicente Luque. I say we do that. I'm going to reward Neil with a fight against Vicente Luque. I'm happy with that performance. As for Mike Mallett, you know what? Back to the unranked pool. Back to the unranked pool. There's a lot of them. You know, there's a lot of unranked welterweights. You're going to have to fight one of them. Crazy stuff. And he didn't get a performance bonus. I would have given it to Neil, but, you know, the UFC doesn't really like when fighters are getting brutally, brutally uh, destroyed and then come back with, like, a few seconds left in not really not really fashionable fashion, not really, like, great fashion. Like, Neil Magny literally just flipped him over, took him down, and landed in top mount and just wailed on him. I mean, just, ugh. It's like a mallet pounding in a nail. My goodness. And now what? As much as that fight wasn't too exciting, it was kind of crazy watching Neil win. And then I, um... You know, I, had this, I was at the bar with my uh, three buddies, and I legit turned this fight off. I never I never turn fights off, rarely. I turned my phone off for this fight. 
to not not to conceive to to save battery. Uh, this was just an awful fight. As Hawkwell Pennington wins a unanimous decision over Myra Bueno Silva to become the new women's bantamweight champion. First off, congratulations to Hawkwell Pennington. You're you're good. Good for you, Hawkwell. You know you're not on what a six fight, five fight win streak. I think it's six actually. Finally, win the women's bantamweight championship. Amazing. You'll have a fight with Julia Pena later in the year. Amazing stuff. Let's give Hawkwell Pennington her props. That was her, that was, oh my gosh, six straight wins. Six, six five win streak for Hawkwell Pennington. None of those fights have been fun to watch, you know, but you know what? Good for you. Good for you. I, I think she's a lesbian with someone. I don't know. Is that Reno Donna? I don't think it's Reno Donna. I know she has uh, Tisha Torres, maybe. She, she has a wife in the UFC, but I don't remember who. Um, as for Myra Bonsalva, who was just at DA Sports UFC 5, who was my pick to end 2024 as women's bantamweight champion, faded after round one. How about that? How about that? Per round, let me read you round one. Myra Bueno Silva outstrikes Hakuayel 18 to 11 significantly. Takes her down twice, three minutes and 20 seconds of control time. All right, she was she was in control and then just lost it, proceeded to lose the next four rounds. And even more worse is Hockwell Pennington wouldn't even finish her. She had so many attempts. I mean, Hockwell Pennington had freaking two submission attempts in the final round. Narbon Silva's threw up three in rounds two through four and couldn't get a finish. Like, oh my gosh, just just killing me, just killing me. Hockwell Pennington outstrikes her 134 to 69, total strikes 265 to 96. Now, Barbell Silva landed three of nine takedowns, but Hugo Penton just kept ending up on top. This was boring. I'm pretty sure the fans are booing. I mean, just no excitement. And Mario Bueno Silva, your stock has plummeted. Now, what? She's ranked number three. Drop her to four or five. Drop her to five. Punish her. Punish Hugo. Punish Mario Bueno Silva. Hugo Penton, though, I mean, she was ranked number 12 in the women's pound-for-pound pound ranking, she's going to shoot up to, like, five. I'm pretty four. She's, she has to be four. You have to put a champion at four. Okay, she's not. Don't put her above Valentina. But put her, put her forward. Put her above Julia Pena, Aaron Blanchfield, Manfred Orad. She won the belt. Good for her. Good for her. But yes, obviously, Julia Pena will be what's next for her. Um, as for my well, Silva, I mean, it could literally be any woman. Literally any woman that was banned. Wait, Irene Aldana. I like that. I really, I really like the Irene Aldana. Kelton Vieira could even do that. She could do Norma Dumont. She could do Pancans. I don't really care. It was so boring. It was killing me. But we had to get over with. You know, I think even Dana knew we had to get this knocked out of the way. But, um, yikes. Just a yikes. Um, the main event, the big hoorah, how we will end out this podcast. And I have to make dinner. Might even do a little door dashing. Gotta make a little, gotta make a little money, honestly. Um, the main event, as your middleweight champion, Sean Strickland defended the belt against Drakus Duplessis. And we had a changing of the guard. Duplessis wins a split decision to become your new men's middleweight champion, but not without controversy, as a lot of people thought Sean Strickland won. Let's check out the stats. Stats tell a lot. First off, I was having trouble watching this. You know, um, I was out and about with the bar, so, you know, I was talking to people. Uh, I wasn't even drinking, really. I was focused on this event, but it was hard to focus. You know, people kept going up to me because I'm watching. They're like, bro, who do you got? And I go, Driscus Duplessis. And they're like, no, you got to pick Sean. So it was more funny when uh, he won. But um, Sean Strickland, 173 significant strikes, 237 for Duplessis. Um, by the way, his total strikes, 183 to 140 in favor of Sean Strickland. Sean Strickland threw 419 total strikes. Duplessis threw 358. Duplessis goes 6 for 11 on takedowns. Only 2 minutes of takedown time. Every time he took down Sean, Sean was getting back up. 
Round one, Sean clearly wins this one. The most clear round for Sean Strickland. Outstrikes him 34-18. to 18. Um, Duplessis may have landed two takedowns, but the striking got Sean this round. Round two, though, Duplessis outstruck him, landed a takedown. Duplessis took that round, so it's 1-1. Round three and four, the closest rounds of the fight. Round three, um, it was a two-point two um, two strike uh, difference in favor of Sean Strickland, thirty-one to twenty-nine. So we'll give him that round. Round four, four-point advantage for Sean, thirty-three to twenty-nine, significantly. But three of five on takedowns for Duplessis gave him this round. So even Dana White said a lot of people said it was two to two heading into the final round, and you know Sean kind of came alive. I'll struck him by eighteen, fifty-three to thirty-five. Um, Duplessis went zero for two on takedowns. Didn't even get control time on the takedown attempts. But managed to win the, managed to uh, win this fight, and you know honestly the the rounds two to four through Duplessis I think is the most applicable case rounds one and five to Sean Strickland, and I've seen that countless number of times in fights where a fighter wins the first round and the final round, but losing the in between rounds is really what kills you. You could point out Volkanovski as an example of that. Um, but you know what Duplessis wins. It was a close fight. Takedown takedowns really played a difference. Um, Sean was also bleeding from a headbutt. Um, Sean was kind of accepting of it at the time, but then kind of went and tweeted and said, I deserve a rematch. You know, he clashed heads with me, and I was kind of like, oh, who cares? I don't really care. I'm sorry. Duplessis now on a nine-fight win streak, a perfect 7-0 in the UFC, and this is only the second time in his career that he's gone the distance in a win. Uh, gets fight of the night, uh, very much deserved. I don't know. I kind of, I kind of think Tavares and Sade should have won it, so my prediction would have been right. Honestly, I'm so surprised Duplessis won a decision. I thought it was a Duplessis finish or Sean Strickland decision, but nah, absolutely uh, absolutely crazy in this one. Impressive stuff, Duplessis. I'm happy for you. I picked you. Okay, you actually saved me on this card from going negative, uh, but man, nothing but a controversy surrounded him. All right, and sadly, sadly, he ate a lot of damage. His face was swollen. He had cuts. So your new middleweight champion, Will not even even if he thinks he could turn around for UFC 300 in April, he would never get cleared. He would never get cleared in three months to turn around. So middleweight division is now out of options for the main event of UFC 300. Um, who who should he fight next? I mean, Adesanya. The fight is right there. I know people are saying Adesanya doesn't deserve it, but I mean, come on, the Marlon Vera, the Marlon Vera fight, okay, versus Sean Strickland should not be happening, but it was there. We had to jump on it. And by the way, looking at how, you know, Sean Strickland beat Adesanya compared to how Duplessis beat Sean Strickland, I mean, it's pretty interesting to see, you know, how close it was. Um, other, I mean, what are the other options? Jared Kanier, despite coming off a crazy performance against Marvin Vittori, is still a fight away. You know, we're not going to give Robert Wicker and Paul Costa the winner of that fight a tail shot. We're not going to give the winner of Brent Allen and Marvin Vittori a tail shot. Hamza Chimaev, no matter how big his name is, is currently ranked 9. He needs a top guy. So I say we do Hamzat versus Adesanya or Hamzat versus Cannoneer for the next title shot or something like that. But Duplessis will be fighting later this year. And he was my pick to end the year as a middleweight champion, slowly coming together. As for Sean Strickland, I mean, so many options for Sean. So many options. I mean, winner of Robert Wicker and Paul Costa, I love that option. Uh, Jerry Cannoneer rematch, I love that. Winner of Marvin Vittori and Brendan Allen, storylines are both, I like that. Uh, even the winner of Roman Dolodizzi and Nazarene, if I could see, there's going to be a lot of options for Sean Strickland. But as for now, back to the drawing board. UFC 297, um, it gets a, uh, let's actually see. Let's actually see. Our grade will be based off of how good the fights were. 
first off, first five fights, starting us off five for five. And then we get, I'm going to say four straight duds. Now we're five and five. Neil Magny, Mike Mallett, the shock factor, that gets it six, five. Dud with Hockwell Pennington. Dishes to Plessis, pretty good. So seven, 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 five. So on the scale, seven divided by 12 gets us 58%. So this uh, card gets an F. This card gets an F, but that's a little mean. But it's, it is mean. I mean, the, the, the Canadian fights have so far sucked. All right. The last time they were here at UFC 289, it sucked. All right. The best moment was Charles Oliveira winning. Best moment on this card? I don't even know. I don't even know. The main event was good, but kind of sloppy. Kind of sloppy. But who, who doesn't love a good slugfest? Um, this does raise questions for UFC 300. Of course, it's searching for a main event. Leon Edwards and Bilal Muhammad cannot main event. I, I won't even lie to you guys. If they do want to do it, Justin Gaethje and Max Holloway could be the main event. But the unfortunate part is you really cannot put the BMF belt, which doesn't really exist over like a woman's title fight or belong to Leon Edwards. So it does get kind of tricky. Flyweight belt, bantamweight belt, featherweight belt, all not going to happen. Unless, unless Topura quickly knocks out Volk. And then actually, there's no options for him to even fight someone. Islam Makachev won't be fighting until June. Leon and Bilal cannot main event. I think I think all eyes are on light heavyweight for Alex Pereira to maybe fight Jamal Hill or Magomed Ankalaev. You know, a lot of options. Or there is rumors. There is rumors that Alex Pereira might go up to heavyweight to take on Tom Aspinall for the interim heavyweight championship. So I'm not going to say any. There's no validity to that, but we will see what happens. A lot of stuff to come in 2024. We take a two-week break from UFC, or just a one-weekend break, but it's basically two weeks. Um... I'll be back Thursday with all sorts of new stuff. We're going to be working on um, a new series where I rank my KOs, of course. Uh, Giving our conference, NFL game predictions, checking in with the NBA and NHL, new UFC news, all sorts of fun stuff. But we say goodbye to Canada. All right, bye-bye, Canada. I don't think we're going back to Canada this year. I'll be honest. I don't, I don't think we should go back to Canada this year. But, um, hey, we have a South African champion in Driscus Duplessis. Maybe we'll see you in Africa for the first ever UFC Africa card. That would be amazing. Thank you guys for your time. Have an amazing, blessed week. Make it the best. Make it the best week of your life. I'll catch you next time on the Surprise Jab Podcast.